1: Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast, a Q&A special for you today. I'm Matt Addison, your host. Alongside me are both Theo Squires and Sean Bradbury to answer all of your LFC questions. We are recording this live, so if you want to ask any questions and you haven't already submitted them on either Twitter or YouTube, stick them into the comments, wherever you're watching us, wherever you're listening from. We'll get to the best of those as we go through. But without further ado, Theo, I'll come to you first. We'll dive straight into the questions that we've already got. Lots and lots of questions, predictably, around Jude Bellingham and all the excitement around him. I suppose it's uh, inevitable that we're going to get stuff along those sorts of lines. But I think, you know, without sort of going too specifically into this, a lot of people kind of asking really around the, the price tag. 131 million was the kind of reports earlier this week. That's a lot of money for any team. It's certainly a lot of money for Liverpool, a lot more than they've ever spent on a footballer. But I suppose the obvious question to start with is, would he be
0: worth it, do you think? Um, worth it? You'd like to think so. Like he, he looks like a, a generational talent. There's a reason why all these elite clubs are being linked with him and are wanting him and have been tracking him. Well, it's not just since he was Birmingham City as a 16, 17 year old when he got that Dortmund move. Is it? it's like right from I think the Athletic did a piece saying Liverpool have actually had their eyes on him since he was like 11, 12, uh, is obviously a very special player. Um, we'll see a bit more of him I think for England tonight looks like he'll he'll start that one and probably be first choice at the World Cup the way he's going at the moment obviously set tongues wagging with that performance against Man City in the Champions League the other day he's still 19 like wherever he does next if he signs a new contract at Dortmund if he goes to Liverpool Real Madrid PSG Man City whatever he is injuries permitting going to be one of the very best midfielders in world football for at least what 10 years 15 years he seems to be that good, so I think the price tag it fits into that. I'm sure if Liverpool are in the conversation, the price is that. Some people will be uh, pulling out those Jurgen Klopp quotes about Paul Pogba's 90 million fee and spending 100 million pounds on players, as it always seems to be the case. But it's the way the market's going. Like we knew transfer fees would drop a little bit with the pandemic, but there is that recovery in it now. And I think with Jude Bellingham, it's a case of if Liverpool confident they could get him happy to spend the fee because it depends on the wages and everything that comes into it. Like if Darwin Nunes delivers, that's 85 million. If they want Jude Bellingham, it will break that club record, whatever they spent on Virgil van Dyke, 75 million. And then it's just a case of what does Bellingham want to do? Like We knew they were in the conversation for Aurelien Suomeni, but he only had his eyes set on Real Madrid. So that was going to be a very hard deal to complete. And obviously they failed there. Um, we know they've had briefest talks with Kylian Mbappe's representatives over the years uh, going, is there any chance? Is there any chance? And it's just, no, it's not. He wants Real Madrid or he wants to stay at PSG. They're still part of the conversation. With this Bellingham one, it does feel a little bit different. If there's a bid in war, probably it's going to be beyond their reach. But if Jude Bellingham wants Liverpool, and I'm sure every time he's uh, with England and we see him chatting to Jordan Henderson, these rumours are only going to increase as well. It is a deal that seems to be there for the taking.
1: Yeah absolutely we'll come back to the price tag in, in just a second Sean but lots of people kind of asking about how he'd fit in at Liverpool as well obviously the the midfield area that Liverpool have there's lots of very specific jobs that people do within that midfield but from what I've seen of, of Bellingham at the very least, it kind of feels a bit like he can do a little bit of all of them. Out. I think there was the, the story, which I really loved, the, the, the 22. The reasoning behind that is because he can play as a four, a six, an eight, or whatever it is, whatever the numbers are that, that add up to to that. It, it does feel like he could, could do a little bit of everything for Liverpool, which is exactly what Jürgen Klopp wants.
2: Yeah, to completely, completely agree. I mean, you, you've seen it already this season. I think this is the thing that impresses me most about him is, is almost what we've seen in recent weeks. He's clearly the outstanding candidate to replenish the liverpool midfield for for years and years to come and you're seeing what he's doing now in terms of inspiring and leading dortmund who you know had a good start to the season and like you've already referenced he really really shone in that man city game and yeah we've seen him on both sides of a midfield three we've seen him sit a bit deeper in a double pivot which you know would give liverpool some more tactical flexibility we've seen little flirtations happening with four two three one this season as Clock looks to kind of experiment a little bit and try and bed Nunes in and things like that. So yeah, I, I just think there's no doubt he's he's versatile, he's he's well-rounded, he's tall and physical. He's got that key attribute as well of, of availability. You know, played so many minutes last season and it look like looks like he'll be in for another stellar campaign where he's starring domestically in Europe and continuing to make a name for himself on the international stage. It's it, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's just it's, it's one where it's very hard to gauge I mean, I, I always think back to that tweet from Henry Winter um, I think it was not last month it might have been at the end of August and you know he was just obviously he's a, he's a big name in journalism isn't he I think everyone who listens to the pub will know who he is main man at the times and it might have just been kind of idle conversation and two and two becoming five but he was chatting to a fan and he just said um, on Twitter I'm looking forward to seeing Bellingham at Liverpool next year and you know The the chance that this is an open secret, I suppose we've got to factor that in, haven't we? But like you guys have said, it just feels, especially with the way his season's shaping up and that he's got this platform at the World Cup to go out and deliver for England as well as as, as his club team. If teams aren't interested now, surely by next summer there will be others knocking on the door for Liverpool. And In terms of the price tag, I... I think there's there's no doubt that he could be worth that. And we've seen what Liverpool have done with, with certain players like Nunez is an obvious example. They've they've given him a long, long contract. I think he's signed up to 2028, 20, isn't he? And, and there's there's half a dozen players, you know, current first team stars, Diaz, Jota, a few others who, who were signed up to 2027. 20, so, you know, if Liverpool paid that big money for Bellingham and tied them down to a long-term contract, and you know, he played 30, 40 games a season or more than that in all competitions along that line you know, that the price tag would look like absolutely nothing and look what happened with Virgil van Dijk, Allison. you know, record-breaking deals that, that suddenly look like not quite a pittance, but but not much at all. But my only thing about the price is, is less would he be worth it? It's more would Liverpool be right to be putting kind of all their eggs in that basket? Because let's say there's 130 million spent next summer on one man and it's Bellingham it, in terms of midfield recruitment. Huge, huge deal, but it would be a lot of reasons to be excited. But my anticipation would be that more more midfielders would be leaving, and that's the question Liverpool have got to ask themselves, isn't it? You know, if, if two or three are going, and you're just getting someone in, albeit a man who is versatile and walks into the first team, whatever combination of players you, you've got or you, or you want to utilise, yet it's, it's the gaps in the squads issue. So that would be where the, the the puzzle is yet to be fulfilled for me. But yeah, it's clear Liverpool are interested, and there will be other suitors, and it's just a question of whether the Reds can kind of remain at the head of the pack for them.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point, actually. We've got Peter Duron in the, the, the YouTube comments there has, has made a, a similar point, really. If, let's say, hypothetically, Theo, that Liverpool do spend big on Andrew Bellingham next summer, they convince him, they spend that money, they bring him in. I mean, it, it's not just going to be one midfield, it's probably going to be two. And then you've got the kind of forward line with potentially Roberto Firmino leaving next summer as well. It It does feel like it's going to have to be Bellingham and maybe one or two more. And when we are talking about these sorts of price tags, that is going to be consideration for liverpool
0: yeah it will be i don't think it's any secret that liverpool will need more than one midfielder when you think oxlade chamberlain looks like he's going to go at the end of his contract nabby cater if you made me put my head on the chopping board now and say what's going to happen with him i'd predict he'd leave but then he could come back from injury next month and be flying and get a new contract and be fully deserving of it. Yeah. We're all very uh, modern with our thinking there on recency times, isn't it? That's our bias towards it. But then there are players who you've got those uh, uncertainties over. James Milner is another one who's out of contract. There are players that Liverpool need to make these next steps for and have this transition. I think Henderson's getting older, uh, Thiago's getting older, but they counter that by signing teenagers who are going to be these. Generational talents than themselves, like we're seeing Harvey Elliott, Fabio Carvalho, um, Curtis Jones. If he can finally shake off the injuries and live up to a bit of his potential, I'm not I'm not saying these are going to be first-teamers Liverpool guaranteed for the next ten years, but they haven't had to spend much on them. Is it what ten? Well, less than ten million, isn't it? On those three combined, compare that to 130 million. It all balances out this way, and they're going to be talented players coming through the academy who can help fill the squad up like that as well. I think they play different roles, but we've seen like the likes of Lewis Louis Comas and uh, Ben Doak flying for the academy during the opening weeks of the season. as so players to sort of keep an eye out for. Liverpool do have these talents coming through. But then at the same time, you're going to have to be looking at the markets for the, the players that you spend big on transfer front and the ones that you can maybe get on a cheeky free transfer. I think I wrote in the summer, I wouldn't mind uh, Gdungan from Man City. He's available on a free, he works with Klopp. Be a nice little Milner replacement offers some goals, whether that's a possibility. Uh, I'm sure it's more just my personal uh, preference at the moment. But there's going to be plenty of speculation here. and It's what Liverpool need. look at it and what they need to do. Like There are plenty of players that you could say need to be moved on, but it's a gradual transition. That's why they focused on revamping the attack, getting in Nunes, getting in Carvalho, getting Elliot more game time, moved on Sadio Mane. And then it's the midfield. and You look at the defence, that'll be the case in a couple of years when we'll they have to look at that. Canate, there they've got Gomez, but it's like well, with Simicast now pushing to be a starter. It's all this gradual transition. Liverpool, they think market and uh, think windows in advance, and that's why perhaps it's not as big an issue as it might seem now. And you say, Well, 130 million it's a lot for Liverpool, but I swear for three, four years now, we're going, Oh, it's going to be a big transfer window for Liverpool, they're going to spend big, they only get one or two players. They've got to be enough there when you've got to roll the dice and bring in a big player. And then still have enough left. I'm sure they will. They've reached Champions League finals and competing for the Premier League. They're going to have the finances there to strengthen the squad accordingly when they need to. Because if they don't, they're not going to be able to compete for these honours and stay at the highest level anyway.
2: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the finances has, has come up a few times within these questions. We did a podcast with Dave Powell about a week or so ago, so if people want to listen to that, he does explain why Liverpool can afford to go for Jude Bellingham. They could have done a bit more this summer as well, potentially, but chose not to, and all of that kind of thing is really interesting in terms of the wider transfer plan. But just before we move on from Bellingham, Sean, just one more question from Shyam in the, uh, the YouTube community comments. He asks, if Liverpool do wait for Bellingham, and even if they get it right, what's essentially the sack sacrifice this season for doing that have Liverpool taken a, a short-term risk or a short-term possibly backward step to to get Bellingham in the long term or do you think even without him this season they can go on and, and sort of achieve what would have been their expectations across the summer it's a difficult one I, I was at the Ajax game though and I do think the
2: the green shoots of recovery were there and you know uh, midfield is a massive part of that, isn't it? And you know that that questions rumbled on all summer, and we saw Klopp's stance, Klopp stance, kind of right at the start of the summer was, "I've got all my options, I've got all the skill sets I need." You know, if they're all fit, tell me where the gap is. And I still think that was broadly right, but then the gaps just opened up across you know the, the whole the whole squad, really, didn't they? Or certainly, you know, almost half of those midfielders and several of the senior men were out, and, and suddenly it looks really problematic. But I just think if you look back to that Ajax game and and you can add extra options on top of that by the time brighton rolls around and and you know if 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 a clutch of players stay fit for all of october and all the way up to the to the world cup i think liverpool will be in a very different position by the time that comes around i mean just to refer back to Lyacks, i know you've got to qualify this a little bit because it was only one game and i wouldn't you know, we did a pod the other day and we were saying was it a turning point i don't think you can you can say that yet because it's, it's it's one game it's not in the league that's where the difficulties really lie because you know you can you can afford to lose one maybe two possibly even three group games in the Champions League so you know and still get through so the Napoli one was one you could write off and I actually put that to bed a little bit but so much look good about it and, and that's what I'm taking heart in. you know it wasn't just the midfield with Thiago keeping things ticking and reuniting that partnership with Fabinho that, that just wins Liverpool so many games almost regardless of who the third midfielder is but Matip playing again and letting the back line kind of squeeze up his ability to bring the ball out of defence. Simakas was excellent in a creative sense and a couple of positional question marks at times, but, you know, he's still there in the ropes, isn't he, and still having exposure at a high level in games like that. And the thing for me with the way it looked against Ajax was a real excitement about who the midfield options again and who you can bring in as that third player, because like Theo was saying before about Cater, it's just going to be so interesting, I think, what happens to him in, in, in the weeks to come, because, you know, an, an option like him or, or Curtis Jones coming in to relieve a bit of the pressure, I think, that's built on Harvey Elliott and, and just offer a kind of rotation to get Liverpool through October and have different angles of, of attack and you what know, present one problem to a team in midweek and then something different at the weekend will, will be massive. But the way Liverpool were against Ajax, I just thought... Jota was absolutely key in terms of, you know, setting the press and him, Diaz and Salah were like men possessed up front. But just in general, that system struck me as one that would suit Nunes a bit more. So I think that's another thing that I'm more and more excited to see. It's like if everything everything behind where Darna's, Darwin Nunes plays is a bit more back in sync, back in rhythm, doing the things that you expect a Liverpool side to do, squeezing the play and just kind of setting things up for him to be a bit more dangerous someone like Simakas, you know, being really accurate with set pieces and his delivery from open play and finding Nunes in the air or just in the box, I think there's, there's there's reasons to be excited. And, you know, no doubt the pressure is on Liverpool. I mean, like that, that Brighton game is one where, you know, they, they've just got to win it really, haven't they, to, to, to kick on and try and catch up with City. But I, I think, yeah, to go back to that question, I, I think there's there's still a lot of reason to believe and you know, Haaland coming in and slotting in like he, he, he has at City was always going to make... The Premier League pitch are quite intimidating, but I do think under that, City have been. I don't think they've been perfect at all. You know, there's been a couple of games where they've conceded a few. Obviously, there's been a couple of games that they haven't won. And not in any way saying that they've they've kind of been flattered by Haaland. but you know, he's 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 yeah scored a few you know early goals and opening goals, but he's also added to his tally by just absolutely crushing teams and being lethal on the counter attack. And one good breakaway, and he just buries the ball. And obviously, that's that's a that's a huge trait to have. But I think there will be there will be big, there will be bigger tests for Man City, and there will be better options you know, and, and kind of possibilities for Liverpool to get good results on the board in the coming weeks. So, no, I'm, I'm not at the stage now where I'm kind of worried about what wasn't done over the summer. Um, albeit the margin for error has has
1: reduced massively for Liverpool, but yeah, plenty to be excited about still for me. Yeah, absolutely. In agreement with that one. We are going to move on from Jude Bellingham in a second. and In fact, I'm going to make this question other than Jude Bellingham. But Mr Jinx on YouTube has asked, who could or should Liverpool go all out for in the transfer market? So I'll come to you both on this. I don't know who wants to come in first. If there's a an obvious answer jumping out at you, then go for it. But I will say, with that question, let's make it other than Jude Bellingham, because I think that's probably all three of our answers to this question.
0: We're being realistic or not? You'd say Kylian Mbappe, wouldn't you? He's the obvious one. Uh, I think one of the reports the other day saying his contract, while it was three years, the third year was an option. So next summer, he's into the final 12 months of his contract again. But then would we think Kylian Mbappe is going to choose Liverpool? Probably not if Real Madrid in the conversation, but he's the one. Erlen Haaland, he's been superb for Man City. We've seen how many goals he's scored. But Kylian Mbappe looks like he's going to be the next... Messi, Ronaldo talent for the next 10, 15 years. He's the one who's going to be pacey. He looks like he'd fit into a Liverpool front three, get all those goals. It's not going to happen, but he's the one. He's the one. Sean, is he the one for you as well? Oh, yeah, very much with with Theo on
2: that. If, if we're the transfer committee, obviously, I think uh, Killian's, Killian's the top name on the list, isn't he? I, to be honest, the only, the only ones I've considered, really, are, are midfielders. I think, you know, Liverpool's defence is fairly well set isn't it at some point further down the line maybe you know as the centre back age that'll become an issue but hopefully Calvin Ramsey starts to show a bit when he's you know fit and ready to go and can be a deputy for Trent we're seeing what Simicast can do now to fill in for Robertson you know up front obviously there's the there's the Nunes question which I'm confident will be resolved in, in the weeks to come and you might think there's a little bit of depth to be filled in around there you know there's a couple of games so far this season where you think I oh, will Where's that Ariga really option? That that slight wild card, whether it's some a presence in the box or or someone like a, even like a Shakiri who just offers something a little bit different, but but that's that's kind of like just playing around the edges, really, it's clearly a midfielder. And the two two that I've not seen a lot of, but I've read a lot about, and we've done pieces on. We've like kind of tactically assessed them and brought, gone down into their numbers. One is a player who there were whispers around this summer, and that's Conrad Leimer of um, Leipzig. And the, the way the suggestions that he would want. Player LFC might have had a little look at in the summer for obviously settling for Arthur Mello late on in the window and getting him in on loan, and you know I think he's he's 25. He's he's got that good mix of international and domestic experience. Slight concerns around his injury record. I think he had one big ankle issue that kept him out for a whole season, and he's he's played a fair bit of football since then. That was a couple of seasons back, but you know it's been at times in in fits and starts and. He's had a lot more games than he has minutes, if that makes sense. You know, you, you might look at the, the bare stats and think, oh, well, you know, he plays a lot, but slight issues there. And obviously that's that's not what Liverpool needs. You know, like we said before about Bellingham, and, and we've always said about the likes of Wijnaldum, you want availability, though. you want Clock to have options and to be able to plan for them and, and you know, to, to have them over certain runs of games and, and use them as he likes. But I think he's interested in it. And the fact his contract, I think, expires next summer. So, you know, the... There was talk of, like, would he be available for 20, 25 mil around that, that, you know, the window just gone. Well, obviously, if he doesn't extend his deal, that that gets a lot less as, as time goes on, you know, be it January or next summer. And the other one, and to be honest, I'm almost utterly sold on this by one Andrew Beasley article that he that he wrote for, is this a guy called uh, Ibrahim Sangare who plays for PSV, Ivory Coast, Ivory Coast International. And he just sounds like he's got absolutely everything that Liverpool need in terms of... You know, he, he he can pass the ball progressively. He's, he's a front-foot defender. He, he tackles well. He regains possession high up the pitch. It, you know, I, I, I say to everyone listening, just go and have a little read of this, and it, you know, it was a good article, um, and and kind of sold him quite well. And it was based initially on rumours from the Italian media that Milan, Chelsea, Liverpool, and others are sniffing around him. He might have a release clause of around thirty million in his contract, which which does run for a few more years, but. This this is the thing, and I think this this brings it back to what I've said before about Bellingham. You know, there, there's two midfielders, and okay, they're they're slightly names off the top of my head, and no suggestion Liverpool have interest in Sangare, and only only kind of whispers around Lima from over the summer. But you know, if you could get both of those players for uh, you know even a conservative estimate like 60 million or something, it would be it would be less if 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 you know as as um, Lima's contract ticks down, you know, it could even be for nothing next summer. Then you know that's. Comparing that to putting everything into Bellingham is is I just think something Liverpool are going to have to consider, or do you you say Bellingham plus someone like Limmer on a free, and then that's that's two of the slots that Theo was talking about next summer if if Ox Cater, possibly you know possibly Milner leave uh, are filled. So yeah, I just think it's it's midfield and it's it's that extra depth, someone who can fill in for Thiago, someone who can provide energy and. Make sure Liverpool don't get stuck in kind of little ruts like they did against Fulham where they were just out-battled in midfield. And I think it's a couple of players and, yeah, I know we're not allowed to say Bellingham, but he, he would be the one. And Barthes would be also right up there. But, yeah, I think there's there's other options floating around that Liverpool should be considering and having
0: a little look at the next summer. Yeah, is the um, PSP lad, isn't he? Yes. Because it was an interesting one with him because he signed a new contract, didn't he, in the summer. But then Rangers knocked PSV out of the Champions League and Chelsea were apparently after him on like deadline day before like that's Liverpool going a bargain hunting and getting their Juventus knockoffs. Um, he's an interesting one because you say with Liverpool, lose midfield, like getting Bellingham, that's that transition. Then what is next? Liverpool, in two, three years, they'll be needing to find a long term Van Dyke replacement, a long term Fabinho replacement, and a long term Salah replacement. And they might already have it if you look at, say, well, Canate's there. Vesetic could be this great number six. Harvey Elliott, maybe, if he gets a few more goals and they put him back in a front three. Or we're looking at some of the other youngsters coming through. Or maybe they'll go and spend big on another the forward. But Sangari is someone who'd fit that as this big, towering number six. But these are the roles that Liverpool are going to have to look next to for the next stage of their team. With Lima, I think the talk was, if he goes on a free, it'll probably be to the Bayern Munich. But it was interesting how a player can sign a new contract, at, I think it was the end of July, start of August, and then three weeks later he's apparently being offered around Europe again. Uh, not saying Liverpool will be in the conversation because you think if he, he was really available and they wanted him, they might have had a, a deadline day inquiry go in. But it's obvious, I think, what needs to happen next to Liverpool no, they spell it all out with the teams with right, we'll revamp the attack, we'll revamp the midfield. What is next is those three key roles, the players that have been so vital for the getting to where they are now. Replacements for them, names that will emerge. We can't really pluck them out of thin air now because you'd like to think you get another three, four years out of each of the three I've mentioned. But that'll be the next one. Down the line, we're looking at who is the next Mohamed Salah, who is the next Fabinho and who is the next Virgil van Dijk. Nicola Barella would be one that I would throw out there he's one that I was really disappointed because I saw him to play Bayern on Sadio Mane watching he didn't even get off the bench I was hoping yeah. to do this lovely long read on how great a player Barella <laughs> was and I didn't even get to see him play
1: yeah, Jurgen Klopp, a big fan of of him as well. But quite whether financially him and Bellingham in one summer would be too much to ask for. Who knows? <laughs> Let's wait and see. But we'll move on to some other non-Bellingham and non transferry type things. The inevitable question, and I say inevitable because we get it in every single one of these Q&As, is around a switch to a 4-2-3-1, Sean. But I've thrown it in again. I know we, we speak about this a lot, generally, and a lot on these Q&As as well. But the reason I've sort of thrown it in there again is there's probably a better argument now than ever before to make that switch there's probably two or three players that you can think of off the top of your head that might make it make a little bit more sense not least Darwin Nunez as you mentioned before but it is now the, the time to have a bit of a go at that I suppose we have we have seen a bit of that from Jurgen Klopp haven't we particularly towards the end of matches is, is that something you'd like to see a little bit more of? Oh, Absolutely to be honest when we do our team selections pre-game
2: and, and put those out on the website I've been banging the drum for it for, for quite a while and to see it from the start because Okay, it's been perhaps mixed results. When, as you say, we've seen those flashes in in the last half hour or forty minutes of certain games, um, well, people have done it often because they've been chasing games, and it's 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 maybe been you know a, a planned move in the ex- to the extent that they must have worked on it a bit in training, but like maybe a slightly desperate one where it's just a case of throwing every forward onto the pitch and and seeing how it goes. But but yeah, I mean, I think it would be a really interesting test of the. Thiago and Fabio partnership because clearly that's the that's the two you'd have as your first choice for the double pivot. I think it would protect Liverpool a little bit against those exposures that have come in transition and when you know Liverpool have been squeezing high up the pitch and then suddenly a team has just snaked through them with you know nice bits of movement, two or three good passes and, and then suddenly they've been away, especially down the kind of Liverpool's the channel, Liverpool's right. You know we've we've seen a fair bit of that. We've seen almost the same kind of goal scored a few times against Liverpool and I just really like that idea of having a a block of at least four players you know there's two midfielders who are going to sit a bit deeper your two centre backs who are going to be there obviously Your, your, your full backs and your wide players who could hopefully track back and help out as well so I think in a defensive sense it would help but also I mean just thinking back to the Ajax game and then throwing it forward to Brighton and what comes next I, I just there's so many of the attacking players who I just don't think you can drop and and therefore seeing four of them in in tandem in some way in a, in a in a three and a one really does excite me and you know like Jota I just think has to play he, he, he was he was so good he, he you know not that he's been a forgotten man but you know we said this on the last pod a lot of the debate around team selections and just Liverpool in general has been you know Nunez Plan A is Firmino Plan B and you know. It's it's almost been like which one of them is going to start, and then Jota suddenly comes back and just it looks so effective in, in 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 his pressing, but just in his general play. I Think he has to start the next game. Diaz clearly is 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 in good form. He's not quite picked up where he left off last season. I don't think there's still a, a little bit of integration to do with him, but he's looking better all the time. Salah is is most Salah, and you know he's creating a lot of chances. Perhaps not quite being, you know, put in in front of goal as much as we'd like to see, and then yeah, you know, I think it would it would suit Nunes as as, as we've said, and yeah, for me, I think it's a bit more of a of a back to basics thing that would help Liverpool defensively and and find the way of almost just unleashing a front four with a bit of a security blanket behind them. You know, I think maybe there would there would be an argument you might slightly lack a bit of cohesion at times. You know, 4-3-3 is that is that such a well-drilled thing, isn't it? You know, as I, I was hoping it against Ajax Liverpool would revert to 4 3 one and then you saw 4 3 not quite at its best, but at the best it's looked this season, I'd say. You know, and know Bournemouth was a, was a 9-0 and was, you know, a game where pretty much every shot Liverpool the ball had flew into the net. But I do think Ajax was just an impressive performance in that respect. But against teams who were going to sit back a little bit more, not quite offer of the adventure and the, and the boldness and the commitment of men forward that Ajax did, yeah, I just think... 4 2 3 1 has a hell of a lot to offer and will help Nunes as well by just having so many players buzzing around him that will occupy defenders. And, you know, if you can get to a situation where we play 4 2 3 1 for a few games, Nunes scores a few goals, and, and Liverpool are just kind of back on track in the league, then I just think everything will look so much rosier. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Let's move on to have a bit of a chat around Darwin Nunez as well, Theo. I'll come to you on this one. And, and Jamie Dodd and various other people on YouTube as well, they've kind of asked the, the question really of, was he the right type of striker to target? I know we've sort of seen a, a bit of a shift in that attack. It's not quite worked for Liverpool yet, but was he the right kind of player to go for? And, and were you surprised at all that that was the man that they chose to go for in the summer?
0: So whether the grass is green or not, isn't it? Uh, we've seen this Liverpool front three with Firmino, Mane and Salah flourished for so many years. And as they got older and contracts coming to the end, it was obvious it was going to have to be broken up. We saw uh, gradual replacements with Diaz and Jota, but the criticism was still there that your number nine doesn't get enough goals. Um, you're not unpredictable enough. Like Ancelotti said it after the Champions League final, it's very easy to stop Liverpool playing. So that's why they've gone for this different sort of forward. I suppose it's going to take time for him to adapt. Like he was never going to settle in as quickly as Haaland has and get that level of goals. And probably he had to do that. Or he had to at least match those standards for the questions not to be asked. But you look at him and he should be the best of both worlds. Like we've both gone for target men in the past and it's just not worked. You think of Ben Benteke. Uh, Balotelli to a lesser extent, extent, Ricky Lambert. You know, they go for these plan B forwards just because they need something in case plan A doesn't work and they give up after a season. I don't think they're going to be giving up on Nunes after a year because he still presses high. He's got the pace, he's got the work rate. He just needs to hit the goals. But before the red card, he was hitting the goals. He scored, what was it, four against Leipzig in pre season? he scored against City, the Community Shield, he scored against Fulham. He causes havoc, he creates a lot of chances but he misses a lot of chances. But then we were saying the same as Salah when he first joined as well. You'd like to think it's just bedding in, gets used to the style, gets used to the formation around him, and it will all come together. It can't just be a case of we've got a striker that's over six foot now. Let's just lump it to him and see what he can do, even though that looked quite effective against Everton in the derby. But I needs to play to his strengths, and there's going to be this merging of it. Um, it's one where Firmino was so effective, but there was always those claims of, well, he's not scoring enough goals. You needed that goal scorer, the number nine. You could do it. Well, they've got that now in Nunes, and it's either this works and this is the new Liverpool, and they've got another forward who can score all the goals, and they're now unpredictable and they can take it to the next levels, or he's just going to be an upgrade on Origi and they'll maybe put someone else there in a the false nine, or we'll see more of Jota. But it's Liverpool in the sense of it's not the same eleven week on week in week out. They do rotate it. Like as good as Jota was against Ajax. Um, and he might start against Brighton. But this Man City at home in a couple of weeks, would you say Jota's starting that? Or is he going to go Firmino? Is he going to go Nunes? It's still unpredictable for that lineup, And that's partly why they brought Nunes in. So they have this variety of options. So they can do different things. And hopefully it will be a success long-term. It's just waiting for him to hit um, get on get the goal run. But if we we're having this conversation a month ago before the red card... We wouldn't be uh, as concerned about him as it is. It's just that three-game suspension along with two games suspended. Uh, It's looking a bit worse than it actually is.
1: It feels a bit to me, Sean, like Liverpool have tried with Nunez to get essentially what they had with Sadio Mane the second half of, of last season, where he didn't... Do a great deal in terms of the build-up he wasn't doing the kind of typical sadio mane things out wide but you just knew as soon as the ball came into the box or as soon as it dropped in a certain area he was going to score he was going to get you those vital goals and i think that's that, that's kind of it isn't it for, for darwin nunez as theo says you know one or two goals and suddenly we're looking at him a little bit like city and, and erling holland are, are there you know he's having eight to ten touches in a game scoring one or two goals suddenly the perception of him completely changes. It's just that we're probably not used to seeing that kind of player for Liverpool.
2: That's exactly it. And I think in a strange way, Liverpool and Nunes just aren't working for each other at the moment or haven't been for most of this season because like we were saying before, you know, Nunes needs a team behind him, a unit that's functioning and is and is able to kind of put the squeeze on other teams and just constantly get that ball in and around them. And, and that hasn't always been happening. Liverpool have been that effective at times in in possession and in terms of building pressure until you know you saw that kind of especially in the second half when against Ajax when Thiago was just kind of working the ball around so nicely and Liverpool were building that relentlessness back into their play and you know I think there have been question marks over both full backs I not mean, think Robertson's had a great season so far Trent's been in and out has had a couple of decent games but I think he'd agree as well he's been below his level and and, and you know that's that's a big factor in getting the ball into, into Nunes and then obviously as you guys have alluded to, Liverpool neither Nunez Nunes who isn't headbutting people and, and getting suspended, which just hasn't helped them at all. But I think if you look at all of Liverpool's other attacking options that have been, you know, the, the, the big ones who've been signed in the, in the Klopp era and have come in and made a real difference, th- there's still so much reason to give Nunes a lot more time because, you know, like Diaz last season, I think it's always a bit, a little bit easier if you're coming in into Liverpool attack as one of the wide forwards because, oh, okay, there's there's a there's a lot on you, but Look at last season, you know, we're aware because Klopp talked about it that he didn't overburden Diaz tactically. He almost just said, Go on, be unpredictable, go and show us what you can do. And then we'll wait till the summer to really drill down into your relationship with Robertson or Simicast, how the left hand side works, and how, you know, you're integrated into the team as a whole. Even when Salah first came in, I I got the impression there was a little bit of that. And and it's the same with Mane. And there's certain positions in the Liverpool team, I think, where there is just so much more to to learn and to do and to absorb and and they're basically in the middle of the park aren't they I, I, either in attack or or in central midfield like you know if, if you're one of the three in midfield you're doing you're, you're part of a unit that's doing the job of four people effectively in terms of where you've got to be what you've got to cover what you've got to provide to the team and like, like we've been say, saying already about Firmino and Jota I think what impressed me so much about Jota against Ajax was that it was very Firmino-esque it was it was Firmino and his pomp it was you know, he he was the the main pressing trigger. He was doing it effectively, and and you know, he, and he looked alert and lively virtually every time he got the ball as well, whether it was to fashion a chance for himself or or to create one, which obviously he did. And you know, Firmino and Jota have just had so long, haven't they? Now, particularly for Firmino, obviously in terms of how long he's been here, to to make that role their own. And and it's like Theo said, it's it's the Nunes role will be a little bit different, but it but there are still elements of that that he's that he's going to have to bring to his game, and it's very different to what he's used to. So, you know, I think he's he's got all the raw materials in there, are right? he's clearly an excellent goal scorer, uh, a fine finisher. We've have already seen flashes of that from what he's done, and, and in preseason, you know, that game where he scored four, and as soon as he got his first one, okay, there were a couple of them weren't the, the smoothest finishes ever. Just slightly lucky to get that many, but but then you know a couple were also great, and and, and you know he can finish with both feet, it's good in the air, and yeah, I'm just just confident we'll 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 see plenty more of that, and hopefully starting very quickly
1: yeah certainly hopefully over the the next few weeks heading into the world cup i think the world cup could be interesting as well in terms of sort of when players get knocked out if uruguay don't go particularly far maybe that'll give darwin nunez a bit more time on the training pitch and all of that sort of thing but we'll uh we'll come to that as and when we come to it last question then hero on youtube asks where is calvin ramsey now i'm not going to ask you that directly theo because it would be a fairly simple answer is he's injured but uh I suppose the the question that the wider points around Calvin Ramsey, and I suppose it links a bit with what we were talking about with Trent at certain points in this season of kind of rotation and, and where he fits in. Calvin Ramsey has kind of been a, a big miss in terms of the rotation you feel for for Liverpool so far. But I suppose how how big a role would you would you have expected him to have even if he had have been fit so far? He doesn't maybe feel like one who was going to come in and, and start loads of games and take loads of minutes. It, it was always going to be a. I suppose, a gradual process.
0: Yeah, it was. You think when um, Kostas Simakas came in, didn't he only play like two Premier League games in his first season? And this was a player who's played um, in a number of European leagues, in European football, I think he played against Wolves, didn't he, in the Europa League, only like, a few weeks before he joined Liverpool. So with a lot more experience, and he took time, and it's was only really 18 months in when we saw him, oh wait, he's actually a pretty good deputy here. So. Ramsey, you think he's an 18-year-old who's barely played. He's had a year of football in Scotland. He was never going to come in and take Trent's spot straight away. And yeah, he could have been a decent rotation option. But it would have been, what, the odd 20 minutes at the end of the Bournemouth game when you're 7-0 up. It wasn't going to be, oh, we need a goal here against Ajax. Let's change the fullbacks to rest his legs. Uh, He's a couple of years further back in that progression before he can really stake that claim then it's we need to see him to see what type of right back deputy he is is he someone that can genuinely push Trent for the next three or four years until you have to have a difficult conversation of who is first choice there or is Trent so good that you're not going to get into this team you need to move on and be a first choice elsewhere or is he just someone who can tick a box for a few years they'll get a profit on him and then, like Nico Williams and we'll, we'll see like they talked up Connor Bradley so much at last summer, saying he's this full international, he plays really good attacking football. He's going to be this like-for-like deputy. And he didn't play in the Premier League. So, yeah, he's doing brilliantly at Bolton. He could come back and be a squad option as well. But it seems like Trent sets such a level, it's hard to have an actual replacement for him because he's so young as well. Because he's another who could be in this Liverpool starting eleven for 10 years. And You've got Milner who can fill in. People I'm guessing will wear... Uh, Flinch at that one now, the, the age he's getting to. Joe Gomez can still do a good job, and he was getting a few assists when he kept stepped in at the uh, latest stages of last season. We need to see more of Calvin Ramsey before we know what to expect from him. It's a big ask for him to come in and suddenly, oh, yeah, we don't miss Trent anymore because he's reaching that standard when he's 18, year, 18 years old. He's had a year in Scotland. He, he might be a really good player who's got it and can really push Trent on. Like, I know the, the club, they rate him highly. Um, our information from them was Klopp and Pep Linders really view him as a right-back that can play exactly the way. They want their full-backs to play, and he's got this really high potential level. But we've not seen him play. He's not been in full trading yet because of this injury. Um, it shows they were happy to take their time with him. They didn't want to risk him. They just wanted him to get him right. They probably didn't expect Trent to have such a patchy start to the season, but he was always going to take time to bed him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I spoke to someone over the summer when Calvin Ramsey signed and he said he was picking up the same sorts of positions of of trends and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, he he sounds like the perfect fit, but it will just take that bit of time. But I think that's all we've got time for for today's podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who submitted a question. Apologies if we didn't get to yours. No men's game, of course, this weekend, but the Legends are playing on Saturday. LFC women at Anfield on Sunday against Everton as well. So make sure you're across the Liverpool Echoes website and Blood For all of the updates around all of those things. If you've not signed up to the new Liverpool.com newsletter yet, make sure you're onto that as well. Bonus content from our writers, including David Lynch and Analyzing Anfield's Josh Williams, every single weekday straight to your inbox. For now, though, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. And until next time, it's goodbye for now.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red
1: Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.